Hello, everyone. Um, going to do a little morning uh, coffee discussion uh, today on a topic that I reviewed quite extensively uh, a few weeks ago at the 2022 NBA Combine. I did a uh, presentation for the NBSCA, the National Basketball Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, uh, there's going to be clips about it coming out relatively soon, but I wanted to share <clears throat> some of the concepts or at least have a little bit of discussion as to what the, the main point of the discussion was. Um, and in so doing, I want to try to uh, refocus uh, our attention uh, away from uh, load management, as you're going to see that I'm going to discuss quick uh, soon. And I want to put it more into the, um, the uh, put more of our efforts into the improvement of the quality of the connective tissues. So uh, how I started that particular uh, presentation, oops, let me just go here and share my screen, uh, was with this particular slide uh, here, which is a slide that I've uh, lectured on for my FRC courses for, for a number of years. Uh, it's a very important slide, um, but I think that we should discuss a little bit about the implications as to what it means. So I've been lecturing on this slide for Wow, since about 2010, I would say. <clears throat> and just for a little bit of historical context, at the time that we that I was lecturing this slide, <clears throat> although it might have been known with a little bit of um, uh, search into the literature as to what actually causes injury, at that time, it was not uh, totally apparent to everyone that injury is really a, a, a situation where load management has gone awry, where the loads that are going into the tissues that you're using um, exceed the load bearing capacity of those tissues and therefore injuries occur. So the way that I lecture about this at uh, seminars is I say that your um, injuries are going to be determined by how much capacity your tissues have and by how much stress or how much force is placed through those tissues such that when the force is placed through the tissue that's in excess of the ability for that tissue to absorb the force, the tissue yields under the force. So technically you can consider every injury that's ever occurred uh, as a mathematical formula. And it's a very easy mathematical formula, but it's very uh, important to understand the mathematical formula so that we can use it to our benefit. So uh, what I will uh, lecture at the, at the seminars is that injury, like I said, occurs when the loads that are being sustained are greater than the capacity. Now, when I say the word load, I want to point out that when you're in an athletic scenario, load is not a generic term. So for example, you can't tell me that this particular athlete in this particular sport has a particular loading um, factor, a total loading factor of X, let's say, you know, a thousand newtons of force. Um, the problem with that is, is the assumption that the thousand newtons of force are being distributed equally throughout the body, such that if you were to just relax from that sport, you would have a decrease in that amount of loads, and then subsequently the chance of the person becoming injured uh, will be less. However, if you actually look at sport, let's say sport like basketball, the loads are not evenly distributed. So in other words, if there are a total of a thousand units of load per game or per week or per month or per year, um, those loads are not distributed equally throughout all of the tissues of the body. <clears throat> now, that's an important point because what's happened recently, uh, especially in the NBA, which I, I was saying I was discussing at the combine, is that 
uh, players are now taking what, what they would call uh, loading breaks or loading vacations or whatever you want to call them. Well, you'll have, well, you'll have players who are sitting out um, games um, in order to decrease the total amount of load on their, on their bodies. Now, when I gave this lecture originally, um, perhaps, I, I don't know if it was this lecture in particular um, or if I should have been more clear, but I do want to point out there, there are two variables at play here. Number one is the load, which is what most people are focused on. They want to decrease the amount of load on the athlete uh, in order to subsequently decrease the injury. Um, however, what I explained uh, at that combine was that I believe that uh, currently we're focused on the wrong variable in that we're focused on the decrease of load, um, which is inherent in the sport. Uh, a sport has a certain amount of, of loading that, that has to be sustained by the players. Um, instead of trying to under load or to lower the amount of loading that the player sustains, what the original point of this argument was, was instead of lowering the load, was to actually intentfully raise the capacities of the tissues that are actually uh, withstanding the load. So just to finish this, this uh, slide before we move on. Um, so as we said, the load when greater than capacity leads to injury. Um, subsequent to that, the rehabilitation of injury um, should occur whereby we're using loads that are less than the load bearing capacity, but they're almost approaching equal. So let me give you an example. So you have a particular tissue and the particular tissue can absorb that much load. However much load that is, it doesn't really matter. Once that particular tissue is injured, the amount of load that that tissue can now absorb obviously goes down because there is um, a breakage in the anatomy. There is a rent in the anatomy or there's damage to the anatomy such that its ability to absorb that load all of a sudden goes down. So where the load bearing capacity was here, now the load bearing capacity is somewhat here. So when we go to rehabilitate an injury, uh, the idea here is that we need to select loads put into the injured tissue. And this is probably something um, that, that should be pointed out uh, directly as well, that the first job in the rehabilitative process is to load the tissue that was actually injured. The first job as the rehabilitative process is to guide the way the injured tissue is healing. And to guide the way the injured tissue is healing, you have to speak to the tissue in the tissue's language. And we always say, or I always say that force is the language of cells. So in the rehabilitative process, the first thing that we have to do is contemplate what happened and at what tissue level did that injury occur. Once we know what tissue is injured and exactly where that tissue, uh, that, that tissue, that tissue uh, is injured, the exact tissue that is injured rather, then our, the idea here is that we have to select loads that are lower than the new capacity. The capacity was here, now the capacity got dropped down to here. So we want to select loads that come somewhere just underneath this newly established capacity. And in so doing, if we strengthen at that level, okay, what we'll do is we'll end up bumping up the load bearing capacity slowly. Of course, if you enter your rehabilitation, your load bearing capacity here, you enter your rehabilitation here, you're going to cause further injury or decrease that load bearing capacity even further. But if we take our rehabilitation loads and we put them right under the capacity, and we start to bump up that capacity from underneath by selecting those loads, we will be able to draw up or to increase the capacity of that particular tissue. Now, moving forward, 
when we're talking about injury prevention, which mind you is something that actually isn't done all that often in the rehabilitative process. And what I mean by that is, as I said before, in my view, the first job of the rehabilitative process is to guide the way the injured tissue is healing. Now, in order to do that, as I said, it means putting in a certain amount of load that comes in under the load bearing capacity. Uh, having said that, when you take a load under the load bearing capacity and you start to bump up that capacity, you eventually rehabilitate that tissue back to its normal load bearing capacity. And that's usually where rehabilitation stops. Your load bearing capacity was here, injury occurred, it bumped it down to here, person comes in with rehabilitation, rehabilitative measures, and they start pushing that load bearing capacity up to where they were before. Uh, where they were before is going to be defined as a lack of pain, an ability to, you know, do those, those return to play exercises that we're, we're, we're told are so vital uh, to understand when the person can go back to play. And then they're thrown right back into the loading parameters that they were in before. So think about how crazy that sounds. If a person has that much load bearing capacity and the sport that they play on a regular basis ends up injuring that tissue because of the load sustained in that sport, then bumping up that load bearing capacity back to the level uh, at which they were before um, and throwing them back into the same loading parameters is crazy because what you should expect is the same injury to occur again. And that oftentimes is the case. So if you ask me, <clears throat> what is the most likely injury uh, or the next likely injury to be sustained in this client who has, let's say, an ankle sprain, the next likely injury to that, in that injury that athlete is going to sustain is going to be another ankle sprain. Oftentimes, because instead of actually rehabilitating the tissue that was injured, as I was saying, is the most important thing in rehabilitation, a lot of the time rehabilitation actually does the opposite and it ignores the position that you got injured in. And I always say that you're always gonna regret not having trained the position that you got injured in. And you're for sure gonna have gonna regret not training into that position following an injury because what you'll expect later is subsequent injury. If someone has a, let's say an anterior shoulder dislocation, the next likely injury that they're gonna occur is gonna be an anterior shoulder dislocation. If they have an ACL rupture, the next likely injury they're gonna occur is a subsequent ACL rupture. And that often is because the rehabilitation process ignores the actual tissue that was injured. For example, if you dislocate your shoulder anteriorly, you can say that 90% or 99% actually of therapists are gonna tell you to avoid the position of abduction and external rotation which is the exact position that the person was injured in to begin with. So what should be done is that there should be a progressive loading strategy that is starting at a relative neutral and then progressing that person into that position of abduction and external rotation. Why would that be? Because when you dislocate your shoulder, <clears throat> when, you, when you injure any tissue, there's lasting anatomical consequences. And the idea that these anatomical consequences can somehow be ignored is what leads to further injury. So when you have that dislocation, there is tissue on the anterior aspect of the shoulder, be it the capsule or the ligaments directly uh, intimately associated with the capsule that will tear. Generic exercise, uh, which is to say putting load into the shoulder generically with particular patterned exercises that were predetermined in a rehabilitation program will not necessarily load the exact tissue that sustained the injury. So again, if you have that, that dislocation of the shoulder, if you don't rehabilitate that person back into that position, then what you're saying is 
after the injury occurs, in order to uh, prevent yourself from getting injured again, you're pretty much asking them not to put themselves in this position. However, if they could avoid putting themselves in that position, they would have done that prior to the injury. And the fact that the injury was sustained is proof that whatever sport that they're in, the chaos of the movements that occur in that sport will in fact put them into that injured position again. If that injured tissue is not rehabilitated um, adequately, at very least back to the level of loading parameters it was before, but as I'm showing in this particular diagram, um, if you're not pushing that capacity even higher up, so if you're not taking that tissue capacity and driving it far above the loads being sustained, well, then you can only expect that injury uh, to reoccur again. So once again, the, in, the area that people would tell you to avoid an abduction external rotation injury would be abduction external rotation. And rehabilitation strategies would often come in strengthening the rotator cuff uh, or you know, doing stability work in particular positions. But once again, unless those forces are being put through that capsule, that capsule will just heal in a haphazard fashion. If you don't give the fibroblastic cells, when tissues are damaged, fibroblastic cells are gonna be activated that have to fill in that gap. If we're not giving those cells the proper information with regards to the directionality of the forces, such that it will influence the cells to lay down um, fibers in the direction of those forces, such that we will be able to resist those forces, forces then you should almost expect uh, subsequent injuries. Now, back to the discussion before. In the NBA, we often have people taking these loading breaks where they sit, uh, they sit out and allow their tissues time to heal. But as I said before, if you take any particular sport, you have to consider where those loads are going. And the reason is because if you know where the loads are going, then not only do you have this ability to mess with the variable of load by taking time off or by relaxing tissue, but you're more specifically able to deal with the other variable in this equation, which is capacity. Capacities are very specific, such that generic strength training will not necessarily funnel the, the information of training into the exact tissue that needs that information. So if you have a tear in a particular area of the hamstring and the, the instruction is to strengthen the hamstring. Well, like I said before, once a hamstring is torn, there's lasting, bio, uh, there's lasting anatomical consequences, consequences such that, for example, um, they'll be tearing into a particular area of that hamstring. <clears throat> now, generic hamstring exercises, because generic hamstring exercises, like most other standard model exercises, are patternized. Patternized exercises always train the exact same tissue. That's why it's patternized. So for example, if you're doing a hamstring curl, which is often done, whereby you're on a hamstring curl machine and you're keeping that ankle relatively neutral and you're doing what people you know, recognize as a hamstring curl. If you are not altering the position of that tibia, as you're doing the curl, then what you're actually saying is you're picking a very specific line of the hamstring and you're funneling all of the work into that particular line of hamstring. Now, what is a hamstring? A hamstring is a mouth noise that we use to group thousands of muscle fibers that are in a particular area of the body. So in other words, when we talk about a muscle, what we're saying is this particular group of fibers has a slightly thicker epimesial layer around it. So it defines it as a muscle. 
but there's really no such thing as a muscle because in a muscle, there's thousands and thousands of muscle fibers. And each muscle fiber has its own stress strain curve. And each muscle fiber is only really uh, being called upon to contract um, by its particular motor unit. So what's a motor unit? A motor unit is the nerve supplying a muscle which branches into thousands and thousands of other nerves. And each of those smaller nerves, each one of those nerves will only go to innervate one to two to three muscle fibers. And those, that group of muscle fibers is its own motor unit. And that motor unit has to be appreciated for itself, not for its, its involvement in the muscle. The involvement is the muscle is just that mouth noise that we use to simplify a very complicated concept, which is that every muscle fiber has its own stress strain curve and every muscle fiber has its own particular angle of uh, force generation such that it is going to influence the tugging on the connective tissue in a very specific way. Now, what does that mean? It means that in order to specifically put load into that anatomy, one must contract the hamstring in such a way that you're calling upon those particular motor units. And what problem is with patternized rehabilitation or patternized training is because you're confining the variables of movement from an external perspective, and you're saying, do the hamstring curl like this in order to make it successful, whatever that means, you're calling upon the exact same tissues that are being confined by those parameters of the coach saying, I want the hamstring curl done in this exact way, in this exact line. And what that is going to do is it's going to overtrain that particular line at the expense of all of the rest of that tissue, such that all of the rest of that tissue will not be receiving signal. And what happens to the tissue that doesn't receive signal? Well, because entropy is occurring, which is the constant breakdown of tissue from, uh, uh, from order to disorder. Entropy is the <clears throat> known as the arrow of time. It's, it's the reason why there is a particular time scale whereby things start off very ordered and then in time they gradually break down in order, uh, into disorder. And that's occurring in every tissue. The only way to, um, con to counter this concept of entropy is through force input such that we put uh, forces through the tissue in order to adapt to build new tissue to replace the tissue uh, that was there before. Now, in those areas of the hamstring, let's say that were torn and are now scarred. So if you have various lines of hamstring and this particular line of hamstring is scarred, what your body will do is it will call upon other areas of the hamstring to try to compensate for that tissue that isn't functioning anymore. And that tissue now is damaged, now is being filled with, connect, uh, with uh, scarring tissue, and now is not being utilized. And those things in, in uh, combination will mean that the amount of entropy occurring in that particular region will go up dramatically. Also, because you're always putting forces into the exact same pattern into the hamstring, not only will you get the generation at that spot, but when you exceed the adaptive capacity of that particular line of tissue that you're training with your pattern, that particular line will also start to degenerate when it reaches its upper limits of rehabilitation or of adaptation, because tissue cannot adapt indefinitely. You can't just take a tissue, um, train it, have adaptation, and then continuously adapt that tissue at, at, at infinitum. It doesn't work that way. There are upper levels of re reproductive uh, abilities, so to speak, in all eukaryotic cells. Um, and the problem with pattern loading, of course, is that you hit those um, very, very quickly. 
Uh, and then once you start to hit those upper limits, the, 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 the tissue starts to degenerate more rapidly. Uh, another thing that was discussed at that combine was the fact that if you take a particular sport like basketball, you can't assume that a particular basketball player is under a particular global amount of load. It's not, it's not a number that you can calculate, like we said at the beginning of this, where I said maybe there's a thousand units. The problem is, is because those thousand units of load are not funneled or evenly distributed through the body. They're funneled very specifically um, through the, the, the areas that are most used by that athlete. So for example, if we take a basketball player, the amount of load in their upper body is going to be far lower than the amount of load in their lower body. So if you take that generic thousand units of load, it's not going to be evenly distributed through the body. Obviously, in a basketball player, there's going to be more of that work or more of that load or information or whatever you want to call it funneled into the lower body. And then subsequently, if you break it down again, there's going to be particular tissues that are going to be privied to even more of the load, which is mostly going into the lower aspect of the body. So for example, um, into the knees or into the ankles specifically. And how do we know that? We know that just based on the injury patterns that we see uh, in athletics. So if you look at basketball, for example, jumper's knee, there's a very specific reason why jumper's knee or degeneration and breakdown of the patellar tendon leading to patellar tendinopathy. There's a reason why that's so common in basketball. And that's because the way that the loads are funneled is such a way that the vast majority of the load goes to the lower body. And then the vast majority of loads loads will, for example, go into the anterior aspect of the knee because it's so uh, there's so much jumping in basketball. And therefore the load is being put into those specific tissues. And those specific tissues are the ones that are going to break down. Now, what can we do with that information? Well, if we know where the funnels are, then I should be able to look at the training strategies for that team before the, 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 the season. I should be able to look at those, those loading strategies and go, look, the amount of load that's getting funneled into these particular tissues is very high, whereas in these particular tissues, it's very low. And what I should be able to do with that is I should be able to skew the training such that I prepare the tissues that I know are going to receive more loading so I bump up those tissues capacities far greater than the amount of load that they're going to sustain during the course of play. So a very generic and very easy example is if you take a 200 pound athlete or player, if they jump up and then come down and invert their ankle and, and start putting this, and as they invert all of that, that force coming down is going to start to be funneled into the lateral um, uh, into the lateral ligaments or the support system of the ankle. If you have a 200 pound player who's crashing down into the ground and maybe they're putting 300 pounds of force into that lateral ankle, you want to come in to the season with a load absorption capacity that's even higher than that generic 300 pounds. These are not real numbers. I'm just trying to give you the idea, which means that there should have been in place specific training per, uh, guidelines pre-season in the off season leading up into the season that will increase the amount of load that that particular tissue can take. Herein lies the problem with generic training in what I refer to as the standard model. If you look at NBA, NFL, you know, NHL teams, the specificity of the training does not reach that particular uh, amount. 
So in other words, we'll, we'll see the same generic exercises being done for basketball players, for soccer players, for hockey players, for jujitsu uh, players, for, for whatever uh, athlete in that they're going to use this standard model of training where they're going to be doing deadlifts, they're going to be pushing sleds, uh, they might be doing some power lifting because they were told that power lifters are powerful and ergo, if a power lifter is powerful, I need to translate that power into the, the basketball player. So that basketball player starts training like a power lifter, which of course doesn't make any sense. If you were going to get better at power lifting, you for sure wouldn't train basketball. Just like if you want to get better at the specificity of basketball, training power lifting is not going to bring you there. And that all has to do uh, with this concept that exercise somehow generically loads body tissues and that all body tissues get better with this generic amount of loading, uh, which isn't true. And I've used this example before with the low back. When you have a low back problem or you have one of your athletes that has a low back problem, <clears throat> the vast majority of those people with low back problems are probably going to have deep multifidus issues whereby the, the slow twitch fibers are, are less um, because what happens subsequent to, to low back injuries is that you get a lack of motion in the area that lack of motion is going to start to atrophy muscles and specifically it's going to attack these slow twitch fibers first now in order to rehabilitate from that that uh that back injury you know you might be given a generic exercise you know uh, bird dogs or back extensions and they might have told you to do three sets of ten and i've spoken about this before that that three sets of ten three sets of five four sets of eight these numbers unless they actually are meaningful to the tissues that you're training, they mean really nothing. So example, if I can do 37 or 38 repetitions at that particular load, and my body is particularly fine doing that, if I'm doing, you know, three sets of 10, I'm not even reaching the threshold where my body will care that that stimulus has putting, been put in. Okay. Now that seems pretty, you know, uh, self-explanatory. Everyone would know um, that if you're not putting stimulus at a certain level, that it won't stimulate change. But for some reason, in the rehabilitative process, we lower our expectations of training such that we, we just pick these generic values. Now, that's the one problem. The second problem is, is if those generic values are put into a generic exercise like the deadlift, the deadlift doesn't know that you require so, uh, slow twitch fibers in your multifidi. The deadlift doesn't care that you require slow twitch fibers in the multifidi because the deadlift is a made up concept by the trainer who's confining the variables of motion such that he wants he or she wants you to lift the weight in this particular way. Deadlifts are usually lifted fast off the floor or as fast as possible. Ergo, the chances of you actually stimulating slow twitch fibers, which require a lower amount of force being executed for a longer amount of time. If you're doing deadlifting at high weights, you're not getting that sustained load into that tissue. And the loads that you are getting are likely being handled by the fast twitch fibers because you're contracting fast. Again, there's a difference between training slow twitch fibers and training fast twitch fibers, just like there's a difference between training muscular tissue and connective tissue, whereby if you confine the parameters in a very specific way, you can funnel energies into training the white stuff or the connective tissue, versus funneling energy into training the red stuff or the musculature. When you funnel energy into the red stuff or the musculature, musculature functions on, um, on the idea of speed. When you're training muscles, what you're actually doing is training speed. At what speed do you want force to be produced that is then going to be funneled into the connective tissue, which will cause motion? 
So when you're doing muscular training, that is the question you're asking, how much speed do you need? However, when you're uh, training connective tissue, connective tissue doesn't speak speed necessarily. Connective tissue speaks in the concept of absorption, how much tissue force can be absorbed by this connective tissue. And training connective tissue versus muscle is not the same thing, just like training muscle uh, fast twitch fibers versus slow twitch fibers are not the same thing. So going back to our concept before, if we're taking a basketball player and we're saying that their sport is going to funnel energy into the lower body predominantly, and specifically not only into the lower body, but it's gonna funnel it, let's say into the ankle because it's very involved in jumping. And into the ankle, oftentimes we're gonna have inversion sprains, which are very common in basketball just because of the nature of the sport. So when we're talking about training that ankle, we have to define something. What in the ankle, what is the tissue that actually sustains the damage? Well, in inversion sprains, of course, we, we do injure the muscular tissue. We, we likely uh, tear through some of the fibularis group in order, because that's the protective mechanism for the, the lateral ankle ligaments. But ultimately the injury is going to be put into the, or the force is gonna be put into the lateral ankle ligaments. And those lateral ankle ligaments are going to not be able to absorb that force and hence are going to uh, be damaged. Now, doing bounding exercises in one particular direction or doing calf raises, um, that's not exactly going to prepare the lateral tissues of the ankle. What we need to do is start to teach clients or our athletes to progressively load into those positions, let's say of inversion with progressive loading uh, parameters or weights with, with uh, progressive time parameters as well, such that we can coax that tissue into laying down even more connective tissue along those lines of force, such that as I'm showing here, we can increase the capacity specifically in those lateral ankle tissues such that it exceeds the load-bearing capacity of the tissues. Uh, and, and again, going back to the original point of this small discussion, this idea that the only variable that is under your control with regards to the management of your athletes is the load. <clears throat> and that somehow if you decrease the amount of load generically and you increase the amount of training generically, that it's somehow going to specifically lead to tissue qualities and capacities that will prevent injuries from occurring is just false. And it's false at the most basic level of human physiology, which is the, the specificity principle. I mean, there's nothing else in human physiology and training that has been studied more than the specificity principle. And what we know from the specificity principle is that your training has to be specific. If you want to train to get faster, you have to train fast. If you want to train to uh, absorb more tissue, you have to slow that load down and you have to train slower. Um, if you want to put uh, a lot of the information of your training into the connective tissue, you have to confine the parameters of training such that you funnel more of the training load into the white stuff over a period of time versus the red stuff. The problem with a lot of athletic training, as far as I've seen over these years, is that because we're using this generic idea of training, uh, most training is funneled into the muscular system. Like we literally call exercises based out on the, 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 the muscle that's being trained. The hamstring curl uh, is a thing that you do where you put yourself into a machine and you curl using your hamstring <clears throat> in this particular line. But as I said before, if you're curling with your, your, your hail in internal rotation versus external rotation, 
what is going to happen with that hamstring or which areas of tissue you're going to use with the hamstring are going to be uh, dramatically different. So you can't call something a hamstring curl and expect, you know, that generic concept to give you specific results in training because it's not going to work that way. Uh, which is why in training, you want to make sure that you're distributing the load over all of the hamstring or in training a basketball player, why you want to specifically look at where the loads are being funneled. They're being funneled into the patellar tendon. They're being funneled into the Achilles tendon. How do we know? Because this injury occurs and that injury occurs. And what I often tell the, the uh, organizations that I'm dealing with is those parameters have to be known. And those parameters have to be known such that you can skew your training in order to increase the, uh, the capacities of those tissues to be able to absorb the types of loads that you are going to sustain um, through, that, uh, through the playing of the season, so to speak. Uh, I guess I can go on, but I, I'm going to uh, stop it there, mostly because I'm out of coffee. Um, but for those of you who are listening to this um, and you don't have the visuals, if you want to go to the YouTube page, you'll see it. But the, the um, equations that I've had up the whole time uh, are taken from uh, my Pales and Rails lecture from my functional range conditioning course. And just for the people who can't see it, just to review, injury occurs from a very mathematical, um, easy mathematical formula whereby the load that's put into a tissue exceeds the load bearing capacity of that tissue, which leads to injury. When you're in the rehabilitative process, you have to be sure to establish what the new load bearing capacity is for that injured tissue. And then you want to select loads that are less than, but approaching equal to that capacity, such that rehabilitation will be able to bump up the load bearing capacity back to the level that it was before. That is rehabilitation. That has nothing to do with prevention. If prevention is to be sought after, then what need be done is that we have to continue that loading process such that we continuously bump up the load bearing capacity of the specific tissues that are being put under load such that that load that is sustained is far less than the new capacity that you've achieved. And when you can do that, you will lead to uh, prevention is a strong word. Um, let's call it injury mitigation. I always say that you can never prevent injuries from occurring. Injuries are a natural um, uh, aspect of, of life and of athletics. Um, but what you can do is mitigate the amount of damage. So if you take a particular athlete and you know the loading profiles that are going to occur during the, the, uh, the season, and you specifically train that athlete knowing those loading profiles and hedging your bets against those loading profiles by increasing load compare, uh, capacity in those specific ways that the load is going to be put into those tissues, then what you'll do is if an injury is occurred, does occur, uh, if you have a high amount of capacity, the amount of injury will be less. There's a big difference between a first degree sprain in an ankle and a third degree blowout. And if you have no experience loading the lateral ankle and the load absorption capacity of those lateral ankle ligaments are low, a, a simple inversion sprain can lead to a dramatic um, you know, career ending injury. However, if you have let, uh, progressively loaded those tissues and built up load absorption capacity, you might not be able to prevent the injury outright, but you might be able to mitigate the damage. And you might take what might've been a level two or level three sprain strain injury and you might reduce that into a level one. And subsequently, once an injury has occurred and you rehabilitate that person and you give them that high amount of load bearing capacity, the, a subsequent injury that might occur 
will also be of, of a lower degree um, than it would have been otherwise. <clears throat> Last thing on this topic, I know I said it would stop, but I do want to also point out, I spoke earlier of the concept of entropy. And the understanding of this concept in regard to rehabilitation is very important. And the reason is, is because knowing that entropy is always occurring and knowing that however organized your tissue is right now or after a 68 week training block, knowing that as soon as that information is pulled and as soon as work is no longer being funneled into that tissue, the entropy process begins immediately. Uh, and I say that because people often think that after an injury, once they've rehabbed the injury, that that injury is somehow gone and it's, and it's, and it's out of the the, uh, it, it can be out of your mind. And that is not the case. And what I tell my athletes is once you've sustained an injury, <clears throat> that injury is with you for life in that you have to consistently uh, make sure that you put specific amounts of information into that tissue such that you rehabilitate the tissue back to load bearing capacity, you increase its load bearing capacity to mitigate further injury, but you have to keep those levels high because as soon as you reach that level, if you no longer train that tissue specifically and you go back to deadlifting or, you know, whatever, Romanian deadlift or bench, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're not specifically loading that tissue, the tissue just doesn't stay okay it's going to start to break down and it will break down to the point where that capacity will eventually lower uh, past the level of loading. And then of course you get that re-injury. Uh, another reason this is important, like think of if you, if you're a programmer, if you've looked at athletes programs and what you'll often see, for example, is a lack of rotational training, uh, let's say in the shoulder. When do you see rotational training in the shoulder? You see it during the rehabilitative process. When someone injures their shoulder, very quickly, you're given a red TheraBand and you're saying, you know, we need to strengthen your rotator cuff. After that six to eight week block of rehabilitation, it's almost like the person thinks that that rotator cuff, that rotational tissue no longer needs input because then the person's automatically put back into the standard training, which is mostly all linear inputs uh, using named exercises. And then when is rotational tissue visited again? Only after subsequent injury. So you have this rehabilitation process that drives up capacity, and then you pretty much ignore that tissue by going back to regular named patternized exercises, and then entropy kicks in, and that tissue starts to go down, loads that are being sustained stay where they are, so then you end up re-injuring and re-injuring and re-injuring, and then you start this process where you injure, you go into this rotational tissue training, once you think the rotational tissue is fine, then you need to go back to train those triceps linearly because God forbid you take a break from linearly training your triceps, you start ignoring that rotational tissue. And then of course the injury happens again. That's a function of just the load capacity equation, but it's also a function of generic entropy. And I will point out that in every joint other than the spine, if you go from the actual joint space itself, <clears throat> pardon me, and you start to look outward, it'll be the joint space, then you'll see the articular capsule, and then the next tissue le uh, level in every joint other than the spine is going to be rotational tissue that influences the tension in the capsule. So for example, in your shoulder, you have the teres minor, you have the subscapularis, which all, you know, blend into that, into that tissue capsule. Those are rotational tissues, right? If you're not sustaining those rotational tissues, those are the tissues that actually monitor the, the capsule, which subsequently monitors the health of the joint space. If those tissues are not constantly being upgraded or maintained, 
then the ability for your nervous system to read what's happening in the joint space goes down. And therefore your motor output going to the linear muscles doing all this work, um, they will be doing this work without knowing where they are in space. Why? Because the deepest tissue that monitors the capsule is what tells the central nervous system where you are in space and is what subsequently monitors or guides what outgoing information goes to those musculatures. So it's not something that you can ignore. You can't ignore the deep stuff just because the superficial stuff looks good. Um, you have to continuously maintain those load bearing capacities as well. Uh, I'm gonna put a pin in it right there so because I can talk forever uh, on the topic, but uh, anyway, that was a, a topic that I talked about just recently at the uh, 2022 NBA Combine. Uh, mostly because of hearing about these players taking these loading vacations. And I really do think that um, it's a problem in that people are focusing on the wrong variable where we think we can only manage load and time played versus being more tissue specific with our training, which will allow us to ultimately alter our capacities to absorb said loads. Uh, anyway, guys, um, I'll talk to you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed this little chat.